So generative AI is being used for screenwriting, which is probably further along, but still, you know, you can give it the last several seasons of succession, feed that into the, the AI, and it can maybe write a, a decent episode, right? Because mm-hmm. it knows the characters, it knows the arc, it knows the narrative, all that kind of thing. Is it going to have what the actual episodes of succession written by human beings have? I don't think so, because there's, there's an unpredictability that human uh, creativity will still bring that AI can't do. So the festival's coming up. You have a lot going on. That's right. You're a very, very busy man. Mr. Cameron Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Just Cameron. Just Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Gems Talk Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you for joining us. This is uh, a long time coming. We've been super excited about having this conversation with you because you are, um, for those who don't know you, which I mean, I, I can't imagine who in Toronto doesn't know Cameron, but you're the CEO of TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. And that comes with a significant amount of responsibility, a significant amount of work, a significant amount of pressure, and uh, you handle it quite gracefully. Thank um, you. And we wanted to sort of talk to you about what the life of a CEO of an international film festival looks like, as well as sort of how you're planning for the festival this year. Obviously, there's some things around a strike happening but also mostly just to understand who Cameron is behind the persona that people publicly see. So maybe we can start with how you even became the CEO of <laughs> TIFF. Uh, all right. So there is a long story behind it. Um, I won't go too long on it. But, you know, I think there's, there are probably people out there who are raised from childhood to be CEOs, whose parents told me you're going to be a CEO someday. That was not me. Uh I am an immigrant to Canada. I came here when I was seven years old from Barbados. I was actually born in England. My parents are from Barbados. They met and married there. And I lived in Barbados, started school there, living with my grandparents. Very familiar immigrant story, you know, Uh, parents looking for a better life. They went first to England. Kids went to Barbados. And then we came here, my sister and I, uh, when I was seven. And so I'm coming in from the outside. That's really always been my perspective, and it's a perspective I try to maintain even now. Um, So I grew up not being that into movies, because I didn't actually see a movie in a movie theater until I got to Canada. I was probably eight years old. Uh, First time I got inside a movie theater. Um, But I was a big reader. I love stories. I love books. I read a lot. I wrote. Went to university at Western U and studied literature. Took my first film course there. And that was when I got into movies. I discovered movies could do a lot more than just entertain. And that's kind of why I'm still at TIFF is because I believe in the power of film to change how we think, how we see the world, how we think about ourselves and each other. If films can can give you insight mm-hmm. into the human condition because it's such an emotive medium, you know, uh, you in a way surrender a part of your brain when you're watching films and you're yeah. just feeling, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the best movies anyhow. Um, and so that's what I was attracted to. I began writing about movies first for Now Magazine, a weekly when that existed in Toronto. And then TIFF called me up one day, wanted me to work with them as a programmer selecting films. I said no, which was weird. <laughs> Looking <laughs> back on it. Yeah, Why did you say no? <laughs> um, I didn't think I was ready. And I okay. guess it goes back to that thing, right? I, I didn't have any expectation that I was going to go on this upward and upward path, right? right? I was just trying to do what I was interested in and take advantage of the best opportunities. And I didn't want to step into something before I was ready. Um, thankfully, they came back the next year <laughs> and asked me again. And <laughs> that time I thought, yeah, I'm ready now. So okay. I said yes. Uh, came on board. That was just seasonal work every spring and summer, working for, fest- for the festival for about eight years. Mm-hmm. Got to, you know, meet some of my heroes, people like Spike Lee and others that I, I got to meet. I started a section called Planet Africa, traveled to the continent for the first time, brought some of those movies back. And uh, and then just, you know, over time, I just sort of moved up and up. I actually left it for a while, did some other things, screenwriting and some TV work, and then came back. And then when I came back, I took on greater and greater roles. And it was just that. It was kind of being there, doing the best job I could. Uh, trying to learn more every day 
and um, and just expand my uh, just colleagues, a network of colleagues, just people I knew, and and trying to figure out what people wanted from TIFF. And then as TIFF grew, became more than just the festival. We opened TIFF Bell Lightbox mm-hmm. in 2010. It was a you you know have to evolve with it. You know, as the organization's growing, what we do changes. You have to evolve with it, and I've tried to do that every step of the way. And now I'm CEO. <laughs> and you're ready to be CEO. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, now I'm ready. Yeah. 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 So why you said something super interesting. You said you still try to maintain an almost an outsider's perspective. Why? Cuz I think most of us are outsiders one way or the other, right? I think if you always feel like you're an insider, that you have all the knowledge you need, um, that you're part of whatever club it is that you imagine in your mind, then I think that's going to limit your perspective. I think what I always try to do, and I get this partly from films as well, but just from people and from travel, things like that, is shifting my perspective. So I see, you know, we've, this is a city where every other person in Toronto was born outside of Canada. That is an, a remarkable, mm-hmm. staggering statistic. Every other person you meet walking down the city, half of the population was born outside of this country. So in a way, outsiders are, there are as many outsiders as insiders, if you look at yeah. it through that perspective mm-hmm. in the city, right? So you have to maintain that perspective. Uh, but also, if you are, if you're in what is essentially a service job, right? My job is to serve the audience for TIFF at the festival and year-round. My job is to serve all the many stakeholders, thousands of people and companies who help us do what we do. Um, that's a service job, and you have to think from the perspective of the people you're serving, right? So you can't think that, you know, we're all good, people should come to us. I have to think about what do filmmakers want from TIFF? What do corporate partners want? What do journalists want? What do government donors or individuals what does everybody want from TIFF mm. try to understand those things think of them as coming from the outside to TIFF and that helps me do my job too do you find the challenge just continues to grow as the festival takes on more life outside of the actual festival and sort of the year round because i think a lot of people we were talking about this before we started recording TIFF itself is not just a september thing it continues all the way through you know i was flying into um heathrow airport once many years ago and the guy at customs and immigration asked me what i was doing what i did for a living and i said um work for the toronto film festival he said oh so you only work two weeks a year (laughs) (laughs) nope (laughs) i want that Uh, job (laughs) yeah exactly right so even the festival on its own, which we did from 1976 to, let's say, 1989, it was just the festival. That's a lot of work, and it's mm-hmm. certainly more than a two-week job. Um, but in 1990, we took on uh, a Cinematheque, so showing classic movies all year round. Uh, we took on a, a film reference library, so we've got students and scholars coming to see us. That started in 1990 as well. We ran a, a kids' film festival uh, in the springtime, and then year by year, we just took on more and more. 2010, we opened TIFF Bell Lightbox, and we've got a building with five of the best cinemas in the country, mm-hmm. probably in the continent, running all year round. Uh, classics programming, events, talks, you know, all kinds of people coming through all year round, in addition to new art house and indie films. So that is a big job. Uh, We're way more than just the festival. The festival will always be the thing most people know us for, but the year-round is a bigger part of what we do. And and in fact, you know, we've just launched a new uh, renovation of the building, the third floor of Tip Bell Lightbox and a new cafe bar and all kinds of new things to bring people in. So being a destination that's just for people who are in or visiting Toronto, that's a big part of what we do now. And so it's about more than just putting on a great festival and who's in town for that. Um, although that's always going to be important, (laughs) but it's also like what makes people come out of their house and come to our space to hang out, to take in a cultural experience, to meet friends, to have a drink, to have, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you can watch everything you want or a lot of things you want at home now, right? We've all got streaming services. It's just almost infinite content, if you want to use that word, at home, but something different happens when you go out of your house and you sit down with an audience, right? Mm -hmm. People you don't know. It's like when you go to a concert, you can listen to that music on your headphones or whatever, and and that's one thing. 
but you're in a concert with a live performer and the music and thousands of other people, very different experience. Mm -hmm. Same thing with movies, right? There's an energy. There's an energy, right? Yeah. And to feel the emotion, to laugh with other people, to get all teary with other people, you know, to get scared with <laughs> other people, that's something that you cannot replace. And so that experience that happens outside of the home, that's really what we're fo very focused on right now. Are you seeing an increase or a decline in the number of people that are attending because of the streaming platforms? We're seeing new audiences, I would say. Okay. So the numbers, it's not so much that the numbers are growing or shrinking. They're not shrinking, which is good. Um, some people are, in a way, aging into their streaming years, if you want to put it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, they like their couch now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So that's happening. And I get that. You know, I, I like my little setup at home and my surround sound and all of that. Yeah. It's nice, right? And you can watch series and just chill, and, and that's, that's good. But we also have young people coming in and um, they want to they want us they want to be part of that experience. They want that social energy that you get from discovering a new movie together with other people. We're showing a movie called Past Lives uh, have been over the summer um, at TIFF Bell Lightbox by Celine Song, this great Canadian filmmaker, Asian Canadian who went to Hollywood, went to the U.S. and is making indie films. This is, I think, going to be one of the top films of the year when it comes to awards at the end of this year. Very cool. We had it at TIFF Bell Lightbox for months. It's been so far our biggest hit of the year. Um, and that's something that people want to watch together so they can talk about it mm. after, right? Like that post-movie conversation is something that I think we still like to do. Yeah. It's not the same if you're just texting with your friend yeah. from your couch, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that is, is, that's the new audience in a way. We also put in place some measures, some just things to attract younger people, like a free under 25 pass. You can access a lot of our programming if you're under 25 for free, those kinds of things. So... The audience is getting younger than it used to be. They're discovering a lot of things that are classics. The amazing thing to us is that young audiences still like watching old movies, which I love to see, you know, mm -hmm. because um, there's some real classics that maybe were made before you were born and you get to see them on the big screen the, the way they were meant to be seen. So we're doing a lot more of that, even as some people are aging out and they're just deciding like they just like the, the remote control at home now, yeah. which is fine. but. There's always got to be fresh blood. Absolutely. Getting getting bums in seats, I think, yeah. is a super important thing. Because, again, it goes back to that energy, that that like raw feeling when you're in a theater and something happens and there's a gasp and you mm -hmm. hear a few other people do it or that laughter yeah. and then suddenly you're laughing. That's All right. of that is contagious and mm -hmm. it, it creates that experience. You're getting dressed up. You're going out. And who knows who you might see. It's an occasion, exactly, yeah. right? You're going to bump into somebody. You're going to hear a new take on something that you wouldn't have thought of before. Sometimes people just turn you on to something like, this movie reminded me of that. Well, I never even heard of that. Yeah. i got to go check that out now. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Is it like a, there's a certain night for the classic movies? or is it? And how classic is so, uh, you know, cinema began in the 1890s. Because okay, <laughs> uh, so these days, like, like the 80s movie, can be a classic. I know, right? right? It depends on, on your age and when yeah. you started watching movies. So, yeah, we have the young people coming in who want to see, like, even 90s is, like, mm -hmm. that's old school for them, <laughs> for them because yeah. they were oh, maybe not born in the <laughs> yeah. 90s. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it can be that, but we, we go way past that. We go back and sometimes we're showing, you know, black and white movies. Like Casablanca. Um, which absolutely, 1941, one of the great movies. Movie. Oh, yeah, you, we I show need, it, I need to see it on the big screen It'll sometimes, Yeah, I right? get that, because seeing you, that on the big screen there's some way different than, seeing, than yeah. watching that. It's at just your a house. different vibe, right? Because you have to see that. You like, might have seen yeah, it in little memes or just little clips yeah. online and that kind of. But see the whole story. It's a whole different the theater, experience. Yeah, because I have no. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it because I have no real. I'm like, okay, it's so old. I don't really want to see it on my TV. But mm -hmm. seeing it in like a theater, I'm like, oh, that'd be. The thing you don't really experience until you've seen it on the big screen in a proper movie theater is just how old movies kind of they glow, right? Sometimes people think that movies are just getting better and better every year because mm. the technology is more sophisticated. That is not the case. It's not like books don't get better necessarily. Um, you know, no, uh, no, you can't say the paintings are way better than they were 100 years ago. No. Why would you say that? That's yeah. a ridiculous thing to say, yeah, right? Yeah. Same for movies. The technology is different, but visual effects made with computers don't necessarily make a better film, right? It's the storytelling. It's the acting. It's the writing that makes a great film. And that is great in every single era. So if you're watching a movie from the 1930s, you may have to shift your mind a little bit in terms of how movies were made in the 1930s mm -hmm. and what audiences expected back then. It, what might seem corny to you begins to see seem a bit more sophisticated once you actually drop into that. 
it's the same where same way where you're watching movies from different parts of the world, right? Yeah. So we show we had a great um, hit last year with a movie called uh, Punny and Selva in Part One, PS One, which was a Tamil movie, right? And so this is a Tamil uh, sort of legendary action movie, kind of like a big Lord of the Rings epic kind of thing, but from South India, and. You know, I think it works for everybody, but if you know what the the language, the storytelling language is from that part of the world, you're going to enjoy it more. Same thing as if you're watching a movie from the 60s or the 70s or the 40s or the 90s. 90s movies are different than movies from today, right? They mm-hmm. they don't, like, people got away with a lot in the 90s that they don't, can't get away with now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for every era, the more you watch, the more you learn, the more you appreciate Right. So we try to encourage people to not just stick in their own little era, like don't just watch and listen to what's coming out now, but learn how what's coming out now was influenced by what went decades before. And then you, it's just a richer experience all around. I really enjoy that, the reference, comparing it to the painting, for mm-hmm. paintings now. When you like comparing to books, because it's still just writing a book, so it's kind of, I didn't really, but when you said compared to painting, because again, I just saw the, like going back to seeing the French Impressionist. Mm-hmm. and like it's still great art and you think it's too, great art and it's great because i'm just mm-hmm. gaining uh appreciation for arts more i try to jump mm-hmm. into it a lot more mm-hmm. and like it's it's also thinking like what they're able to do at that time because if from the like, oh, it's just a pen but at that time you could do that and it'd be that that detail that it can look and people doing that now with so much more and it's like seeing that the different what what what, what, the, what they were working with at the time mm-hmm. is really a good way to uh, compared well, to they two. have to do more with less. Yeah, yeah. I and think it's a good, to. and also there's certain things that were developed to a more sophisticated level before decades, mm-hmm. sometimes centuries before now. Like you try and get somebody to do, to do stonework or to build a building, like one of the classic old buildings that you would see in you know Barcelona or yeah. Paris or Rome. They can't do it. The craftsmanship doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a lost art, and that is also true for some elements of art forms like painting, mm-hmm. um, some of the techniques that were used in the Renaissance in Italy, uh, it's very hard for people to imitate that now. You know, they get, and, or if they're trying, it's just a duplication of what was mastered centuries mm-hmm. ago. The same is true for movies, right? You look at the classic musicals from Hollywood from the 30s or 40s, you look at the art house films from the 1960s or 70s coming out of Europe or Asia, they haven't been bettered, you know? You go and you watch those filmmakers they're at the top of their game even for now. Mm. So that's that's what I'm excited about and just introducing people to that. One other thing we do at TIFF is we actually have a collection of film prints, actual celluloid film prints, right? Oh, On reels, cool. like old school. The way that people have gone back to vinyl records now, mm-hmm. film prints, it's just a different experience, right? It's a richer, warmer experience. A single frame of a, of a film print still holds more visual information than the the highest resolution 8K digital technology that we have available now, right? So to be able to show a film on film, which we do at TIFF, that still gives people a new experience in the way that listening to a vinyl record on a really good stereo system is going to give you a different kind of sonic experience than the very best digital you know, lossless, Atmos kind of audio thing. That's interesting, but there's a warmth to the analog that that is still unbeatable. I think. So if I was going to see Casablanca, I'd hear the the big the big machine going and the. You might if we now we show Casablanca every different way. So we show yeah. it on film sometimes. We show it uh, on DCP digital uh, sometimes as well. But to watch those classic films on film is something that you, it's rare now. You don't yeah. get to do that very often, I don't think I've right? ever seen, I don't think of it. No, I definitely have not. All right, so we always say on our website, year-round at Tiff Bell Lightbox, we will tell you when we're showing it on 35 millimeter. Okay. And then the thing that is staggering, which thankfully does still exist, is when we show something on 70 millimeters. That's a much bigger frame. It's it's like, um, like multiple times bigger than a 35 millimeter uh, print frame. And it's just even more visual information. So the color, the depth, the resolution is better. The filmmaker now who still does that in a big way is Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I was going to say with Oppenheimer. So Oppenheimer you can see in 70 millimeter IMAX, which is just a massive format, which just means that it's just a richer experience visually for you. And there's a few theaters across Canada that will do that um, and around the world as well. Uh, But he shoots on those big IMAX cameras for that reason, right? So he's somebody working at the cutting edge of Mm -hmm. technology 
But this is a film technology is a hundred years old. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So he's consciously choosing. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah, but this, yeah. that he knows that that is still the highest form of the 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 moving image yeah. right now so we do have um 70 millimeter projector projectors at tiff bell light box and every now and then we will do a 70 millimeter series and we'll show some classics including chris nolan films in 70 mil and oh, it is nice. something not to be missed it's really like an event okay so right now you mentioned earlier there was the director who went to hollywood started creating indie films there gained some notoriety the question that comes to mind when I hear something like that is, well, the first thought rather that comes to mind is another Canadian going to Hollywood to make something. Where do you see the Canadian landscape mm. in this sense? Because I think for a period of time, like we seem to be punching above our weight. Absolutely. In terms of the amount of people per capita that we're producing, musical talents, actors, athletes, you name it. But there's still this sense, and we've talked about this mm -hmm. at times, of how Canadians feel like they have to go to L.A. They mm -hmm. have to go to the U.S. in order to gain any kind of exposure. But then we have this big, massive festival here, and everybody comes to Toronto, and when they come to Toronto, they talk about how much they love it. Where's the disparity there? Why is it such a challenge? Well, we're in a unique position. We're a small country, meaning small in population, with a next door neighbor that has 10 times the population and the biggest movie industry, the biggest entertainment industry on the planet, right? So nobody else is living in that particular situation. And we speak the same language for the most part as mm -hmm. well, right? So it's really easy if you're a talented artist, artisan in entertainment to go to the biggest entertainment industry in the world because it's right next door. And when you get there, if you kind of watch how you say a boot, <laughs> nobody knows, right? They don't know you're Canadian. You don't have to tell anybody. And you can always play that game, you know, when you're traveling or in the States. And, you know, did you know so-and-so was Canadian? Did you know Ryan Gosling was Canadian? Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Oh and all kinds of people. And often people don't, right? Because yeah, they're, totally. they're just Hollywood stars yeah. to them. Um, so I get why talented people go. Uh, it is a bigger industry. You can reach more people. The, just the budgets are bigger. All of that is bigger. The audience is bigger. What I don't get as much is why people don't come back every now and then, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at the great Irish actors, you know, Colin Farrell or whoever it might be, they'll go back and they'll make a movie in Ireland every now and then, right? Australian actors, Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe and others will go back to Australia. Yeah. It's rarer with Canadians. It's starting to happen more. Elliot Page has done it. Sandra Oh uh, is doing it right now. She's shooting a movie out in BC. Um, but it's still the exception rather than the rule. Mm. And I would love to see the two Ryans and Rachel McAdams and you know Jim Carrey and all of those Canadians come back and make movies here more often. And can you imagine if James Cameron came back who is from Canada yeah and, know you know yeah, exactly know right he's Canadian um, if he came back you know and brought some of that budget and that that skill uh, to make a movie here as well so it's a different world here the you know the, the whole system of making movies is much smaller it's more government funded less about private uh, industry and enterprise and the budgets are tiny compared to Hollywood budgets but the talent does punch above our weight yeah. you know you're exactly right how do we get to the, the level where it's, it creates a space where more Canadians can operate here, mm -hmm. where they don't feel they need to go down to the South? Because I get the appeal, and it makes complete sense. And to some degree, it's almost inevitable that it'll happen because for years and years and years, Hollywood is Hollywood. But there is the component of we have the talent. We could have access to resources. I don't. I mean, I'm not an insider in that sense, but I can't see why we couldn't find ways to make that happen. What do we? What's the biggest obstacle in making that happen? I know you said the actors coming back, but beyond that, I think you're not going to like my answer. Okay, my answer is you have to watch more Canadian movies. Okay, <laughs> right? I've, I've, I've heard been, that before. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's Canadians actually showing up to watch Canadian movies and the way that they buy Canadian music and they read Canadian books. Canadian books, if you go into, you know, a big bookstore, Chain and Indigo, whatever here, they're front and center, right? You'll see your Margaret Atwoods and your whomevers, you know, Essie Adujian and others, really like they're bestsellers in Canada. Canadian filmmakers in English Canada are not bestsellers. And that's because Canadian moviegoers are going to Hollywood movies like everybody else's. It's, right. it's normal. It's natural. But I think when we start turning up for our own stories on screen more, then every other step 
you know, in advance of that, all the way up the chain will change as well. So the more Canadian audiences are seeing Canadian movies, the more they'll get distribution with the marketing budgets that are necessary, the more they'll get the budgets to produce, the more right. they'll get developed at the script level, the more talent will come out of film schools, et cetera, right? But it starts with the audience. You kind of have to reverse engineer it, I think. And I think we do have good models, right? Part of the reason the audience isn't there is because Hollywood movies completely dom dominate our screens. But in music, we had something called Canadian Content Rules, which started, I think, in the 1970s, CanCon. And that's why Canadian music is as strong as it is now. Mm -hmm. And that developed, you know, the, 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 the foundation for Canadian indie rock, Canadian hip hop, Canadian all kinds of music. Um, there was never anything like that for film, right? So that's a problem. Can we institute something like that? Yeah, talk to your MP. <laughs> it's a government thing, I'm sorry okay. to say, right? Okay. Like, it comes from policy, and yeah. it might be a bit boring, but that's kind of how stuff gets done, right? Somebody right. has to actually put the, the rules in place for that. But there's a very big, um, there's a big incentive, I would say, to not do anything, because the Hollywood companies are very powerful, and they make great entertainment. There's no getting around that. But they don't want a smaller market share in Canada. Right. <laughs> Canada's, Canada's a big part of their their box office. So anything that's going to encroach on that is going to be a problem. But there are countries, South Korea's done it, France has done it, where a portion of every movie ticket goes to support local filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Right? So you buy a ticket to Oppenheimer in Seoul. And part of the, that, that ticket price goes back to make Korean movies. Yeah. Right? Interesting. That's Same nice. in France. We yeah. don't have that here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. This is something we should do too. Yeah, I I can't. I'm I'm just thinking about it. it. Just seems so logical that something like that would happen. I can imagine there'd yeah. be some pushback. It's logical, like but it's complicated. Yeah. So, I want to go back to the the actors and the writers and TIFF in general. So the festival is happening in a couple of weeks, essentially, um, at the time that we're filming, and. Actually, first, before I go there, I just want to know, what's your life like right now? <laughs> <laughs> You've got the festival I mean, look, just around the corner. Yeah, you know, people all often will ask, you know, August will approach and say, oh, this must, you must be getting really busy. No, we're busy in April and May and June, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it takes months and months to put this festival together. Um, we spent a lot of time laying the the logistical and the operations foundation for the festival every year, deciding what venues we were going to use and talking to the city about shutting down part of our, our major thoroughfare, King Street in Toronto. Right. All those kinds of things need to be worked out very early. Then we begin seeing the films, but we're also talking to filmmakers and film companies about the films months in advance. There's a movie in this year's festival that we first saw in December. Okay. So it's early. That's all year round. Um, but then... You know, you, you spend a lot of time, many, many weeks, deciding on the lineup. Then you've got to put everything in place once you've invited. You've got to say no to a lot of people as well. Yeah. This year we had over 8,200 films submitted to the festival. We chose about 260. Oof. So, you know, there's a very high... Uh, Threshold. Not, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah to, to be a part of that selection. So just managing all of that takes yeah. a lot of time. So it's, do you watch each movie? Is that how it works? Uh, I don't watch 8,000 movies, else. but we have a team. We have a team, <laughs> yes. team will not, okay, Yeah, okay. so it's a programming team. Um, Which is what you were doing. When that's you right. Started. That's where I started, okay. the programming team, yeah. So the way it works is there's both um, some cold submissions. You can submit online once that opens around every February every year. Can anybody and submit? Anybody can submit. Any kind of movie. Any, any kind of movie. So your like home a movie, movie on my cell phone and just submit it. I'm just if, asking. If it's great. <laughs> if, <laughs> yes. I, if I deem it great though. Uh, yeah, yeah okay. if you, yes okay. you can. So we accept short films, we accept feature films, documentaries, fiction films, um, experimental films, uh, any kind of movie. Uh, has to be made within a certain time window. So has to be finished after the previous year's festival, so we don't want like your four-year-old movie, right? So new movies <laughs> goes in, makes one edit, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, new movies of any sort from any anywhere in the world. It's all an online process now. Mm. Uh, there's a team that watches them, so we've got uh, people who are, who are watching movies for, through the you know, I'd say like late winter, all through the um, early midsummer. But we also have programs going out and 
and essentially tracking down films that we know are coming. So because we've worked with these filmmakers in the past, or we, we, there's certain film companies, whether they're big distributors here in Canada or the studios in Hollywood, the streamers in Hollywood. So we're, we're going to L.A. We're talking to Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Warner Brothers and Universal and Sony and all of them. We're going to Europe. We're talking with the major companies there, Studio Canal, et cetera, the UK, same thing, Tokyo, Seoul, uh, Beijing, all of those places. Not necessarily always traveling, but keeping in touch mm. with where movies are being made. Biggest industries in the world are in the US, Europe, and uh, Japan and Korea, I would say, Japan, Korea, and China. Um, but we're also, we've got programmers who specialize in films from Africa and the Middle East, who specialize in Latin American cinema, uh, Northern European cinema. So every corner of the planet is covered, including Canadian cinema. So that takes months to put that all together. That's really when we're the busiest. Mm. Um, but we have other teams that are not involved with programming that are, you know, working with corporate partners so that, you know, so that we have the, the, the funds to yes, actually do what we do. Yeah. And when you go on to Festival Street, you'll see their activations, right? They're, they want to engage with our audience. We had last year over 600,000 people come through King Street, Festival Street wow. over four days, right? So <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so every element of it is... Um, is the work of a certain team at yeah. TIFF and we collaborate. So right now, you know, we're in the the last few days before the festival uh, starts and we're really just, we're troubleshooting at this point, right? All of the planning pretty much has been done yeah. uh, and we're just kind of dealing with things. It's like, I look at it sometimes like your wedding planner, except you're planning 260 weddings. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, each one is its own At the same time, exactly. Yeah. So every film that we show has a team behind it. Right. And that team, like if you made your film and you just want to send in your your short film or whatever it was. Right. That is the most important thing to you. Right. And the people you made it with. Right. So you're going to be on the phone and on email with us saying, well, what about this? What about that? I want to bring so and so. My uncle has to come see it. He needs a ticket or, you know, my aunt's with a walker and she needs needs mobility access. Mm -hmm. So we are dealing with that level of logistical detail Mm -hmm. times 260. Right. So it's a big team that does that. And then problems pop up, right? Somebody missed a flight. Somebody didn't get a visa. You know, all these kinds of things mm-hmm. matter. So you're just dealing with that in real time all the time. Do but you, it's fun. Do you feel fun? <laughs> 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 I, you, I believe you when you say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so do you feel, is there a pressure per se when you're selecting only 260 films? And this is the Toronto International Film Festival. Do you feel a certain amount of pressure to make sure that there's a I don't know what the rules are, but is there a number of Canadian films that have to make it in? Is there, like, if you've got more that are, or less Canadian films one year where, you know, there's criticisms? Like, how do you work through that? It's a great question, and the answer is yes. We're feeling all the pressures, right? So we we are looking for the very best new films we can find every year uh, to present to our audience and everybody who comes to the festival depends on that. Mm. But... We're also trying to be representative as best as we can, right? So if we had, um, you know, of 260, if we had 100 Canadian films, people would be like, why are there so many Canadian films? But if you only had 10, same thing. Why aren't there enough, right? So just find that balance is, that's just one layer. Even within Canada, what about Quebec? What about the West Mm -hmm, Coast? What about the East Coast? What about the North? You know, all of these kinds of things are part of what we do. Are we representing the, the real diversity of even just Canadian cinema? And then you go to everywhere else in the world, same questions. There are multiple layers in terms of what kind of lineup we're trying to bring. Uh, It starts with just the quality and the innovation of the films themselves. But we also want to make sure that we don't go a year where there's like nothing from the Arab world or there's nothing from... You know, Brazil and Argentina, right? Yeah. These are major film industries. So we, this is why we have individuals who specialize in these areas, right? And we, we try to sort of parcel out the, um, the real estate of the festival yeah. to make sure that we've got a good documentary lineup. We've got a good Latin American lineup. We've got a good, you know, Eastern European lineup. All of these different elements matter. Yeah. Um, so it takes a lot of th- thought uh, to actually make sure you end up with the, the best balance. I'm not going to say we're always perfect at it, but we do our very best to make sure that the lineup is both high quality and also a great snapshot of what cinema looks like this year. Absolutely. And I think the I think it almost always has to skew towards quality. Yeah. Because that's why people come. That's the first thing. And and as long as it's with that 
framework in mind mm-hmm. than that's sort of the basis that everything else and let the chips fall where they may. That's right. And and I don't see anything wrong with doing it that way because again, mm-hmm. quality matters. supersede it, it matters. It's why people come back too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So now I want to ask you, obviously, with the the festival, just like I said, a couple of weeks away, just under ten days, I think. Um, obviously, the strike that's happening right now in the U.S. is it? Forgive my ignorance here. Is it in Canada as well, or just Not affecting Canadians? Not really, but I can I can give you a little bit of detail on that. So there's two strikes happening right now. One is the Writers Guild of America. Mm-hmm. So these are all screenwriters who uh, write anything that is an American project. They could be in Canada, they could be in the UK or New Zealand or wherever, but they're a member of that writer's union. Gotcha. Then there's the actor's union, which has had a bigger impact. That's called SAG-AFTRA. It's a merging of two unions. Same thing. Actors who work in largely American finance projects, but they can be from anywhere in the world. Gotcha. So both of them are on strike right now against the same group of companies called the AMPTP, that's the acronym, for a group largely of the major, the most dominant ones are the major Hollywood studios and streamers. Mm -hmm. And they're essentially arguing over two main things, I would say, although this is boiling it down a bit, but it is over um, artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and what it's going to mean in terms of ownership of your own rights and your likeness and your image and that kind of stuff. Um, and then it's over residuals, right? So we know that sitcoms you grew up on, actors could have done like eight years of a sitcom and then live off that the rest of their life because every time an episode shows somewhere, anywhere in the world, they get paid. Yeah. That's changed with streamers and also because streamers don't document viewership in the same way that a, a TV network has done historically. Right. So those two things are the, the – the, these are this is a big strike and it's lasted a long time for that reason. These are really tough issues that are hard to – resolve to everybody's satisfaction. So this is likely going to go on for a while. People are now talking about the end of this year or early next year before Mm. there's a resolution. And what it's done is it's shut down a lot of uh, production. And it's also meant that um, the actors in particular are very careful about what kinds of public events they do. So we've been talking to individual actors, their representatives, to um, companies on all sides of this negotiation, just to try to figure out, okay, what what are the boundaries in yeah, a strike allowed, situation? Yeah. What's allowed? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we got a lot of clarity on that. But even with that clarity, there's something called an interim agreement, which if an independent picture signs uh, with the SAG-AFTRA union, they can come to a festival. They can continue production if they're still in production. But even if they have that interim agreement, sometimes the actors still don't feel comfortable because Mm -hmm. they think they might be judged unfairly on social media, especially, because that's really where things kind of play out these days. So nobody wants to be shamed on social media. And even if actors are working within the guidelines of the strike, um, there's a concern about that. So that's really what we've been navigating for the last several weeks. And is there, are you seeing, like, are you concerned that there's not going to be the same volume of actors. This doesn't affect directors. It doesn't affect directors. So actors, writers, are you, are you concerned that there's not going to be the same caliber of individuals coming from the U.S. into no, Toronto? No, not the same caliber at all. Because we, we, I know, from because I've spoken to a number of them, that we will have some serious A-list talent, is the word we mm-hmm. use in the industry, <laughs> uh, coming to the festival. Yeah. The volume won't be the same okay. uh, because if a film is from one of those struck companies, if it's from a Hollywood studio or a streamer and the strike is still on, um, those people who are members of those two unions cannot attend. Right. Uh, independent films, ho- whole different um, scenarios. So they can attend with an interim agreement. So we're expecting a lot of those people. There's lots of independent films. We also have films that are directed by some top actors as well. And it's just a bit of a coincidence, which I think is more of a pandemic uh, passion project scenario where during the shutdown uh, because of COVID, um, a lot of people started writing and and building uh, their own passion projects up because the other stuff was shut down. So Viggo Mortensen has a film he's directed and Ethan Hawke does and Anna Kendrick does and Patricia Arquette does and so many more. So they'll... Um, they'll be uh, coming as directors. Mm. Uh, and then there's also all the international talent, right? So we've got movies from 74 different countries at the wow. festival mm. this year, and that's kind of normal for us. Hollywood does dominate because these are sometimes the biggest stars, the ones you've heard of the most. Um, 
being neighbors, obviously. Yeah, yeah. but we have Andy Lau, who's a massive uh, Hong Kong action star who will be coming with a movie called The Movie Emperor. He's never been to the festival before, so we're really excited that That's he's cool. coming. Yeah. Uh, Anil Kapoor from India, um, Lee Byung-hun from South Korea, big, big, like massive stars in their yeah. own countries who will also be here. I have a question. If this strike goes into well into next year, could that possibly be a good thing for like Canadian movies and stuff? Would that because mm-hmm. we could still make movies, right? Yeah. I mean, be, the actors that aren't in that union could still like could could this be that shift? Is like is it not obviously no no one knows? Is it possible that this could be like a shift in that? It is possible, and it's a great question because we don't know yet. First of all, how long the strike will go and how that will affect the pipeline of projects that are getting ready to be made. But if it goes for a long enough time and um, the big companies in the U.S., which will still drive the industry and the business of film, if they run out of their own pipeline, their their own pipelines dry up and they're looking around. The fact is, you know, we're right next door. We're making a lot of projects in English, right? Sometimes with recognizable talent. If they're Canadian actors who are not a member of the American Actors Union or writers who aren't a member of the American Writers Union, those projects are free to go forward if the financing is Canadian as well. So fully Canadian project uh, with Canadian stars and et cetera. Yes, those projects will go ahead. They'll get made and they might be available to kind of fill in some of the gaps that, that uh, are there because of the strike. We'll see. They still have to be great. <laughs> they still have yeah. to be entertaining, right? Yeah. They still have to be um, visible uh, to those companies. But it's possible that more of those could make it out into the, the broader marketplace. Because this trick was almost a year last time? I heard something that was like in the 60s was the last time it was both. In the 1960 was the last time that both the oh, wow. actors and the writers were on strike together. Yeah. I think 1980 was the last time there was an actor strike. So it's been a long time. Um, and was a long time. Was that? That's like when they were both on in the 60s. Yeah, and I, if I recall, if I have this right, when the actors were on strike in 1960, Ronald Reagan was the head of the Actors Union, which oh. is weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's so a, a, nice a, a unknown fact. fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was like another era entirely. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we're kind of in new territory. We don't, mm. And also streaming didn't exist, and that's mm. a lot of what's driving just this, these negotiations right now. So it's going to take a minute, yeah. and we don't know exactly where we're going to land. AI is uh, an interesting wrinkle in this whole thing. Can you maybe share a little more about the AI component of this? And yeah. obviously you mentioned, you know, actors are concerned about their images and their likeness. And we've seen, you know, in the music industry already pop up AI products that are basically taking artists who've passed and creating new songs when their voices and likeness. Mm-hmm. Is it something similar to what actors are saying they're concerned about? Yeah, it's a few things. And so some of it is just the kind of the gimmick stage that we're at with generative AI, which is, yeah, you can you can make something look like Sidney Poitier talking, mm-hmm. right? Sidney Poitier passed. And you can bring his image and voice even back to life through that. It's a, still a little bit of a gimmick because... Well, it's not Sydney, <laughs> right? And it doesn't have his spirit and that intangible thing that every great star has, screen presence. Um, and also, generative AI is being used for screenwriting, which is probably further along, but still, you know, you can give it the last several seasons of succession, feed that into the, the AI, and it can maybe write a, a decent episode, right? Because mm-hmm. it knows the characters, it knows the arc, it knows the narrative, all that kind of thing. Is it going to have what the actual episodes of Succession written by human beings have? I don't think so, because there's there's an unpredictability that human uh, creativity will still bring that AI can't do. All AI is doing is recombining what it has Existing been fed. information, right? Yeah, exactly. Nothing, so it's going to be limited that way. But that may not be the case forever, right? So there may come a point where there is that leap, uh, where there's genuine products of imagination that create something brand new, that didn't exist previously. Seems very likely, very soon. I think so, yeah. but that's we don't know. And that's, that's what's scary yes. about AI, because like, we don't know where it's going to go. Because technology advances so quickly mm-hmm. that we've gotten to this part so so fast that you think, oh, it might be another 20 years till something like this happens, but it could be four. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And because this technology, it, it advances on a, on a different kind of scale. It's not a linear scale, yeah. right? So it could come very, very fast, faster than we'll be ready for. That's almost certain, right? We won't have 
the laws and the understanding necessary to deal with it. It's going to outstrip that, right? Uh, But the other piece that is maybe beyond the gimmick side in terms of movie stars or pop stars that are recreated through AI is something that's just more kind of mundane but actually important. Most actors do bit parts, they do support supporting roles, they do background work, being extras, etc. Um, and we've already seen through visual effects technology that, you know, if you're watching a Marvel movie and there's a crowd scene, there's a good chance that most of that crowd was digitally generated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you can do that now with, you know, computer-generated imagery, of course. Um, what you can also do is you can capture uh, a background performer and you can capture their image, their movement, all that kind of thing. And then you kind of put that performer, you know, into retirement and you can just use what's you, what you've captured to create, you know, they can be a, a background extra in a 1920s set movie or futuristic movie or contemporary mm-hmm. movie, whatever. Just dress them up differently. It's the same performer. And the physical human is not there. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's the big risk. And that's actually going to affect a lot more people who just have like day jobs yeah, or just on the peripheries. Exactly. They might be making like 30, 40, $50,000 a year if they're lucky as an actor. The, the average salary of a SAG after member is actually lower than that. And that's what, that's what's at stake as well. Just the, the, the day to day working actor who's mm-hmm. not a movie star, that work could be at, at risk. And that's usually who's affected the most by mm-hmm. these kinds of that's right. situations. That's right. Is there a scenario perhaps then uh, where if I'm, you know, that background actor, I can sign off to say, fine, you can use my likeness, but there is a residual of some kind for using my likeness without me having to be there? I think that's that's some of the some of what is uh, on the table in negotiations okay. right now. So either being compensated for that every time it's used or there's just being a limit on use. So you can use it for this movie, this project, but not the next hundred projects sort right. of thing. That all sounds pretty logical. So would that mean that the other side is saying, no, we shouldn't do that? Or is it just trying to figure out how much or? Yeah, you know, the companies who are on the other side of the table, they're looking for as much flexibility and freedom. Uh, maybe I'll put quotes around that <laughs> as they can yeah. get, which I understand. They're they're in a different business. They're, they're yeah, trying to make money, right? And, money. And, and have as much control over their product as they can. Um, but also... It, important to note that this is not new, right? There's always been technological leaps in uh, the film industry. Most of the animated films we watch are no longer hand-drawn. Every animated film right. has to be drawn by hand, every single frame, 24 frames to represent one second of screen time, drawn by an individual or a series of individuals. There's still some movies that are made like that. Our opening night film, The Boy and the Heron from Japan by Hayao Miyazaki, one of the great animators all hand-drawn, mm-hmm. right? But that's rare now. Everything's computer-generated. Um, doesn't mean there aren't individual artists involved. There are, but it's n- that that battle was lost, right? Yeah. So the question now is what's going to happen with the next battle in terms of background actors, etc. But there's some weird things in movies, too. There's something called the Wilhelm scream. Have you heard about that? No. So there's a certain scream that you will hear in horror movies or all different kinds of movies, action movies. And it's just like part of the soundtrack of the film. It's like a, an effect. So when there's a, something scary happening and mm. somebody screams, they actually don't use the actor's scream. They use something that's... It's like a generic scream. It's a generic scream. Yeah, it's yeah. just a piece of audio that people use. It was recorded decades ago by an individual. Mm. And that scream has been used in thousands <laughs> of movies and TV shows. And if you heard it, you, you'd recognize it because yeah. you've, you've absolutely heard it before. Yeah. And so the question is, is that going to be the case with extras or different different elements of movies now thanks to AI? Mm-hmm. Are you worried about it? So, yes. Yeah. I'm worried. I'm excited about it and I'm worried about it. And what that's, are you excited about? I'm excited about it as a creative tool, mm-hmm. right? And I'm excited about it in the same way that computer animation used the the power and the speed of computer-generated imagery to be able to free up imagination, right? And the 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 early and mid-period Pixar movies are some of the best animated movies that I think have ever been made. Um, they're all the animation. If you go back to the first Toy Story, it looks a little crude now, right? Mm. A little choppy, but um, but the storytelling is so strong. So I, I do feel like when you have the ability to, to have machines animate the images, and you can just create the story and work on the basic characters, and, and have the computers fill in the rest, 
that frees up your imaginative mind. Yeah, and I imagine mm -hmm. something similar may happen with AI. So I think there are possibilities. I'm not afraid of technology. I think technology can do amazing things. Um, but I think there is a risk. And when you go in not fully understanding the risk, that's what scares me. Yeah. And the, just one last thing. No, um, technology already took over the jobs of a lot of manual labors, right? Yeah. Uh, probably most of the things made in the studio we're in right now used to be handmade, right? Piece yeah. by piece by craftspeople. That's not the case anymore. They're made by robots in factories on a, you know, on a production line. Yeah. Um, now technology is coming for knowledge workers, right? If you sit at a desk and you look at a screen and that's your work, you know, if your work is talking to other people and processing information and transmitting that to other people, computers will be able to do that soon, right? So lawyers, right? Yeah. Insurance mm -hmm. agents, you know. A lot of service industries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the white collar laborer is going to be in the same position that the blue collar laborer yeah. was in decades ago. Finances, I think, is a big one. Exactly, exactly. So that is going to be a complete game changer and people are not going to go down without a fight, yeah. <laughs> you know? And But like you said earlier, we're not going to be prepared mm -hmm. to deal with it. Yeah, because of at the rate at which this is happening, versus the rate at which we're comprehending what's happening, there's an imbalance there. Yeah, but I'm also on your side of the fence of you know I, I'm excited for it because I think tools like Photoshop and all of those things may not necessarily be AI, but they've unlocked an ability for somebody who may not necessarily know how to draw with their hand to go mm -hmm. and create something. Yeah, and I look at it the same way where I think. I'm not an artist. I can't draw. I may not be able to put something together, but perhaps I have this incredible story and vision in my mind that mm -hmm. I can articulate, but I don't have the actual capacity to do. Right. And if I can articulate that to a computer that can actually turn that into what my vision looks like, I think it almost unlocks a lot more potential for a lot more people who yes. may be limited. Yeah. So screenplays used to be written on typewriters, of course, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to do that anymore. We no. have word processors now. But you can say now to a, a chat GPT or some AI uh, platform, write me a 22-minute uh, pilot of a series about this or that character who this is, this is the tension, this is the era, this is the tone, and wait a few minutes and it will spit out a 22-minute episode for you. And it'll do the formatting and it'll look like a perfect screenplay, right? That's incredible. Powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that takes away? Like if I said to you, if Matthew and I come to you and Matthew says, I just spent the last two months writing this 22 minute episode and I go, I gave ChatGPT the parameters. I gave the, I gave it the characters of what I want and told it to produce it and it produced it last night. Mm -hmm. Is, does the value of my work is it less because I used AI versus the time that Matthew put into it, in your mind? I think you have to look at the product, right? If the AI writes a better screenplay, you know, that's if it's a comedy screenplay, if it's funnier, mm -hmm. uh, if the characters are richer, more interesting, and more engaging, then I don't care how long it took to make it. But AI is not even close right now. AI's jokes are corny as hell, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's cliched in, in what it... This, how it tells stories it just draws on like the most basic yeah. uh, storytelling right now so is it going to be four years from now when it's writing masterpieces I don't know right. hard to say but I think something like I don't know what this Donald Glover or um, you know Phoebe um, Phoebe Waller Bridger you know any kind of great artist who's doing something original in whatever discipline um, you have to think that they still have a spark that can't be duplicated because it's not based on anything. It's not based on just what previously existed, right? There's something original, something personal that the great artists bring. And I just can't see technology ever giving us that to the same degree. Mm -hmm. It's great at mass duplication and that kind of thing, processing information quickly. I can't see it creating something that's wildly original. What movie are you excited to see this year? That's um so I will say I was fortunate enough to get on a plane, an Air Canada plane as it happens <laughs> actually. Cool. Uh, <laughs> this summer and I flew from Toronto to Tokyo 
to go to Studio Ghibli, uh, where Hayao Miyazaki and his team make their films, to watch The Boy and the Heron, which is now our opening night film, because it wasn't being shown anywhere outside of Japan. If we wanted that movie, we had to go to Japan to see it. So I did that. And I was on the ground just for two days. And I've seen it. And I was just staggered by just the imagination in this movie. I, I was never going to be able to do what Hayao Miyazaki does, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm excited for our audience to see it. I'm excited for people on this side of the Pacific to see it. When we show it at the Toronto Film Festival, it will be the first time anyone outside of Japan has seen it. So I'm very excited oh, for that. Wow. Nice. Is that the film that where they intentionally decided we're not going to do anything for marketing? That's we're just right. going to put it out? That's right. Kind of genius. You can only do that if you've already <laughs> released classics like yeah. you know, Spirited Away know and yeah. Princess Mononoke and people just lined up to see your new movie. But they put one image out, no credits, no synopsis, no marketing, no ads, nothing at all. And then it was the biggest hit of the year in Japan, uh, and they spent nothing. <laughs> Brilliant. What's it called again? It's called The Boy and the Heron. It's the Boy night. and the Heron. Yeah, opening night. What's your favorite genre of movies? Oh. Or top two? I mean, I like great examples of every genre, so I can't say I have just one, but I like thrillers a lot. I used to love Alfred Hitchcock's movies, mm-hmm. uh, just the suspense, you know, not violence, but just like being on the edge of your seat because what's going to happen? Yeah. I love that. Um, I like action movies. I was very fortunate to, in 1998, this is, I am, I don't care about aging myself. I'm aging myself. <laughs> 1998. <laughs> I was in Australia. I'd done a series of African films for the Sydney Film Festival. I went there and the publicist I was working with in Sydney, a woman named Fiona, said, come out to uh, a studio. We're, sh- we're shooting a movie in Australia. I want you to come see it. It seems like it'll be cool. So I went out there, and I went on set into this big sound stage on the outskirts of Sydney, and uh, there was Keanu Reeves there uh, and Lawrence Fishburne, and they were shooting The Matrix. Oh wow! <laughs> and um, <laughs> what a so movie to walk I saw, into! I know, right? And I did—I knew nothing about it, but they were shooting the dojo scene where mm-hmm. you know uh, Morpheus is training Neo, and I watched a little bit of that, and the Wachowskis who were directing it had monitors at the bottom of their cameras where they were watching the Bulls play the NBA playoffs because <laughs> they're from Chicago. Uh, so that was hilarious. So that's what they were doing between takes. Um, and so The Matrix is a movie that I absolutely... Because it's a great movie, great first movie. of all. Great great movie. And I'll watch it as often as I can. But I always have that memory of actually just kind of getting a little bit of a glimpse into its making as well. Nice. So that's that's one that stays That's a movie it. that changed the way things were done. It absolutely did. Yeah. yeah. Like it, like, it blew my mind when I watched it. Like, I know. how are they doing this? Yeah. 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 Talk about classics. Like you have to go back and be like, okay, at that time, this is like the very first of, and it's like you got to realize that no one's seen things like this before. At this that's time. right. When you yeah. go back to the, See, now you look it. at it, you're like, oh, that, whatever. It's, it's that's like, right. Because lots kind of movies, it's kind of like it's, you look. Yeah, it ain't all. But like but you got to think at the time. Yes. At the time, man. See, at that time, that movie was nothing was better than that's that right. I think that's true for any art form. I was just watching a video this morning about you know the birth of hip hop, 50th anniversary oh, year, yes. all that kind of stuff, and the invention of scratching, the invention of just beat mixing, all that kind of stuff. Like at a certain point, an individual had to decide. I'm going to try this, right? Nobody's done this before. I'm going to see what it sounds like. Same thing with movies, right? Some of the those scenes in The Matrix, filmmakers had not done before. And they put that together through their own just like... Imagination. Yes. Yeah, just like, like, let's let me, just try, let me try this, this, right? Yeah. Do, you think, do you think this will work? No, let me try it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing, yeah. right? And now then you had hundreds of movies imitate it. But the imitation, I don't care where you get with the imitation, is never going to be the same as the original, right? Mm-hmm. That's true of every every new development in any art form, which mm-hmm. is, I think, what keeps it exciting. And I think that right there perfectly captures the difference between original thought and what AI is today. That's right. It's mm-hmm. that spark to go, to think of something that hasn't been created yet, to go and try it and yep. see what happens. Absolutely. And that's, to me, that's what makes, in my case, film exciting no matter what because there's always going to be new thinkers new creators who are going to just like you know just break through the boundaries right mm-hmm. you think that can't be done let me just show you how yeah. i can do this right and that's partly true in terms of technology or style or whatever it is but there's so many different ways you can break new ground i don't I, like, movies are never going to get old for that reason right mm-hmm. which is you know what keeps me interested incredible cameron thank you so much for thank your time you. Thank you. This My was pleasure. Super insightful. Oh, good. Yes. Love the conversation. Thanks Appreciate for the questions. It. No, no, this was fantastic. And we 
we're big supporters of the festival we Thank want it we want people to show up which is why we wanted to have this conversation because we want yeah. people to know that it happens and that there's also more to it it's not just in september mm-hmm. that there's more so go tiff lightbox there's so much sorry bell lightbox tiff bell lightbox Til- yeah. tiff bell lightbox mm-hmm. um but super excited and i know that you've got a crazy few weeks coming up and uh, we're rooting for you we're rooting for the festival we're hoping that the movies are amazing which we're sure they're going to be and the crowds come out and if you don't have tickets make sure to get some they are available now tiff.net tiff.net and uh go see a movie get off the couch yes go out and see a go movie out. yes yeah. cameron thank you so much thank, thank you, you so i appreciate much. it thank appreciate you both have a wonderful day thanks everybody